Peaceful Parenting by Stéphane Molyneux, Part 5 Childism In many ways, children can be thought of as slaves. Slaves do not choose who has power over them, neither do children. Slaves are provided with food, shelter, and health care, as are children. Slaves are not allowed to talk back or punish their masters, neither are children. Slaves can be punished at the whim of their owners, but the slaves can never hold their owners accountable for anything. The same goes for children. For a master to aggress against his slave is fully acceptable. For a slave to aggress against his master is absolutely unacceptable. Slaves are not free to leave and are subject to the random rules of their masters. Same with children. In fact, the relationship between master and slave is far more honest because masters at least do not say that the entire purpose of human society is to love, praise, and elevate the slaves. Society does not cry out that the slaves are the most important members of society, that the slaves must be respected and treasured, that the slaves are the future, and that society lives for the sake of the slaves, etc. Historically, slaves got to keep well over half of what they produced. Children are born into perpetual debt greater than their lifetime income. No, the slaves are owned and beaten and bought and sold and treated as human chattel and livestock without moral falsehood, without sentimentality, without hypocrisy, through the brute exercise of violent power. And slaves who escape to safer countries are praised for their courage, not ostracized and attacked for their lack of gratitude. The slave who makes a mistake is punished. A master who mistakenly punishes must be forgiven. A slave who is beaten is given little sympathy because clearly he brought the beating on himself through disobedience or neglect or malice or mistakes. When we look back through the bloody tunnels of time and see slaves being punished for the sins of their masters, we recoil in moral horror. A slave owner driving a carriage who crashes into someone and then blames his slave saying that the slave was driving, what would we think of such a monster? We would say that it was terrible that the master was blaming the slave for the mistakes of the master. If we saw the master lecturing the slave on the need to take responsibility for his actions, we would be revolted by this level of hypocrisy. If the slave protested, saying that he was not in fact driving the carriage and that it was the master who had to take responsibility for his own actions, would we support the master or the slave? Currently, in society as it stands, and as society has always stood with regards to children, we always support the master, never the slave. 
If a master hits his slave, it is always the slave's fault, we say. If the slave gets free of an abusive master, we attack the slave for failing to forgive the master, who was just doing the best he could with the knowledge he had, and had been raised with slavery, and so is not responsible for being a slave owner. The master is always praised for refusing to forgive the slave, but the slave is always attacked for refusing to forgive the master. Parents are praised for punishing their children, but adult children are always attacked for holding their parents responsible for their abuses. The way we look at slavery in the past, the future will look on most parenting in the present. It will be even worse for us, though, because we regularly hold people in the past accountable for their moral misdeeds, while regularly excusing the greatest violations of universal ethics in our own lives, in the present, in our own houses. We condemn the historical slave owner while neglecting, beating, and verbally abusing our own children. We condemn the slave owner for dehumanizing those under his control while verbally abusing and denigrating our own children. We condemn the slave owner for preventing his slaves from becoming educated while throwing our own children into brain-deadening gulags for 16,000 hours. We condemn the slave owner for attacking any slaves who fought back or spoke back or who escaped or fought for the freedoms of all slaves while endlessly attacking moral philosophers who speak up for the moral rights of children. We see how good men and women throughout history were attacked for saying and doing the right thing, but then mindlessly attack good people in the present for speaking up for the rights of the abused. We have no excuses anymore. We either look in the mirror and see the true face of evil, or we pretend we are angels, thus imagining our children are devils, and becoming worse and worse thereby. There are no rights without children's rights. We have no morality unless we apply it to children first and always. We have no honor if we punish helpless children for the same actions that we, as adults, demand forgiveness for. We have no integrity if we bury our children in debt in order to satisfy our own political, material greed. We condemn ancient cultures for sacrificing their children to irrational gods, but we sacrifice our children to the irrational mob. We attack our own children claiming an utter lack of knowledge about how to parent peacefully. But this is a complete and total lie. Everyone knows everything about how to parent peacefully.
You don't believe this? I can prove it very quickly. Parenting in the media. For many decades, child abuse has been virtually absent from popular media. If child abuse ever was shown, it was utterly condemned. The vast majority of parents hit their children. If they are truly comfortable with this, why is it never portrayed in popular family shows? We can think of countless sitcoms, certainly from the Second World War onwards, where parents have conflicts with their children. Did Fred McMurray beat his children in the 1950s sitcom My Three Sons? Of course not. He reasoned with them. Family ties. Eight is enough. Leave it to Beaver. Wait till your father gets home. The Cosby Show. Full house. Happy days. Growing pains. Who's the boss? Different strokes. The facts of life. Silver spoons. Mr. Belvedere. Saved by the bell. All these shows modeled peaceful parenting for many hours a week and were watched by billions of parents over the decades. Can parents who avidly consume thousands of hours of edifying examples of peaceful parenting really claim to have no idea what it is? Imagine this. Imagine the reaction if, in one of these shows, a child who made a mistake or who disagreed with or disobeyed her parents was dragged over her parents' knee and soundly beaten. Imagine if a child who came home late was verbally abused, yelled at, called names, etc. Can you imagine the complaints that would pour into the network, the regulatory agencies, perhaps even law enforcement itself? Endless, raging articles would be published. Networks, actors and writers would all be ostracized and boycotted. Do you see the problem here? Parents justify their own attacks on their children by claiming that such parental punishments are morally good. Well, if this is the case, why would they be so outraged when seeing their own behavior reflected back on the television screen. I mean, parents like it when violence is used to punish bad guys in movies, right? I'm sure you're well aware that people who create sitcoms and other forms of entertainment are constantly looking for what pleases audiences the most. Without a doubt, many sitcom scenarios with harsh parenting were tested with various audiences. Countless groups were gathered together and asked to evaluate potential scenes. Television executives standing by with clipboards to record the test audience's reactions. And every single time, the test audience members recoiled from accurate portrayals of most parenting, their own parenting, claiming bottomless offense and upset. That's why we don't see children being hit or yelled at on television. Isn't this strange? We don't see children being hit or yelled at on television because it horrifies people. It enrages and angers them and they never want to see it. 
even though most of them do it every day. If a man works out every day, why would he be outraged to see a character working out on a comedy show? Wouldn't he be happy that his healthy lifestyle was being promoted? If yelling at and hitting children is good and right and proper, why don't parents ever want to see it in movies and on television? Since when do people recoil from seeing morally good heroism in their entertainment? Doesn't most entertainment exist for the sake of portraying moral heroism in a positive light? I mean, we don't see Superman joining a child trafficking gang or Batman teaming up with the Joker to take out Commissioner Gordon. We don't see Wolverine attacking schoolyards or setting mass murderers free from prison. No. We want to see moral heroism reflected back to us. In particular, we want to see our own moral heroism reflected back to us. If hitting children and yelling at children is so good and right and proper and moral and necessary for the salvation of society, why do we never see it in popular entertainment? Or on the occasions that we do see it, why is it always a villain doing these terrible things? It gets more and more bizarre the more you think about it. Since parents on television and in movies do not yell at or hit their children, they end up reasoning with their children in a positive and patient manner. Billions of parents the whole world over have watched thousands of hours of detailed depictions of how to parent peacefully. It's not foreign or unknown. Remember I said that earlier? Peaceful parenting is exactly what people tune in to watch. They know exactly what it is and how to practice it. And because they tune in to see it and praise it and never want to see their own aggressive parenting, everyone knows exactly how good and right and proper and moral it is to reason with your children rather than yell at them, call them names, and hit them. Even with very little children, television parents are sweet and reasonable and patient. They do not hit them, yell at them, or grab them physically and push them down on the stairs in a timeout. Do you understand None of it seems to make the slightest sense. Why do parents recoil from the aggressive parenting they claim is so moral and necessary? This would be like a policeman who claims that his work is essential for society to function, being horrified at seeing a policeman arrest a criminal on television. Would a doctor who believes in vaccines be appalled at seeing a television doctor administer a vaccine? It's almost beyond crazy. Every 
Good parent in movies and television is a peaceful parent. This is because everyone wants to see peaceful parenting on the screen. Good parents in movies and television do not yell at, hit, or otherwise abuse their children. This is because everyone recoils from abuse against children. And then, so many of them get up from the couch and abuse their children. People watch thousands of hours of peaceful parenting on the screen and then claim that they have no knowledge of how to do anything better. People demand that on-screen parents reason with their children and never abuse them and then claim that they had no choice but to yell at and hit their children because they didn't know any better and had no way of knowing any better. <sighs> The world is an asylum because it pretends to be sane. If parents have no knowledge of better parenting, why do they always demand to see better parenting on television and would be horrified if their own parenting is accurately depicted on the screen? Because... Because... They know. You can't consistently demand something decade after decade and oppose any deviation and then claim to have no knowledge of that thing. Part of the reason why good parenting is so consistently shown on television, apart from appealing to the horrified vanity of parental abusers, is to make the victims of child abuse feel more alone as if everyone else is having an infinitely better time than they are. Peaceful Parenting Media Training One central question, THE central question, is why parents who claim that aggressive parenting is good parenting never want to see aggressive parenting in their shows. It can't be because people don't like seeing conflict in art, otherwise there would be no shootouts, no war movies, no torture scenes, no fighting, verbally or physically, between spouses, friends, business partners, you name it. The entire basis of art is conflict. Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself. Included in man versus man is parents versus children. So it's not that. Every show that involves children also involves disagreements between parents and their offspring. If people genuinely believed that reasoning with children leads to disaster, then surely they would rail against shows where parents merely reasoned with their children. How would a group of nutritionists respond to endless shows that promoted junk food, especially to kids? Wouldn't they be outraged? Wouldn't they prefer shows that promoted feeding children healthy meals? Now imagine 
that same exact group of nutritionists also constantly enjoying shows promoting junk food to kids and sending endless raging letters to any and all authorities should a child ever be shown getting within 10 feet of a salad. Would that not be utterly incomprehensible? Wouldn't we say to these nutritionists, wait a minute, you've dedicated your lives to promoting healthy eating. Why do you love shows promoting junk food and rage against the shows that promote the very healthy eating you claim is so essential to human health and happiness? But, as usual, it's even worse than that. Nutritious eating, at least for adults, is a matter of health, not morality. Imagine a prominent group of feminists who endlessly and happily consumed media depicting women being humiliated and beaten and wrote endless letters of rage and complaints to any and all authorities should a show ever reach the public depicting women being treated with dignity and respect. If parents truly believe that reasoning with children instead of aggressing against them produces entitled brats undermining the security and safety of society, then those parents should rail against any and all shows that promote the practice of reasoning with children. A group solely focused on promoting healthy consent for sexual activity should not endlessly praise shows depicting sexual assault as comedy and violently oppose any and all shows depicting healthy consent. Again, it's almost incomprehensible. Aggressive parents do not just believe that aggression is good for their own family. They believe it is good for all families, for society as a whole, and that reasoning with children is not just bad for their own family, but is bad for all families and for society as a whole. To them, aggressive parenting is not a mistake or an accident, or a bad thing, it is a good thing, infinitely superior to the alternative, which produces spoiled, entitled brats with no sense of boundaries or respect for authority. How many people who genuinely claim to care for children would want to see practices advocated on television that would result in the maiming and death of children? Imagine comedies that showed children having a great time crossing high railway bridges in the middle of the night and jumping away from onrushing trains. Imagine programs showing children laughing while grabbing at poisonous snakes and the children who avoided such dangers being laughed at, mocked, ostracized and coming to very bad ends indeed. Imagine seeing a show that portrayed children having great fun, daring each other to cross highways at night. Come on. Parents would rail against the promotion of such dangerous activities. Remember, aggressive parents 
genuinely believe that children need to be hit and controlled so that they don't get injured or killed. The two inevitable examples are a child who gets terrible burns by grabbing a pot of boiling water and a child running towards a busy road. The only way to prevent children from receiving terrible injuries or being killed is to aggress against them by yelling, hitting, punishing, and restraining them. Thus, shows which promote only reasoning with children are exposing children to injury, maiming, and death. Aggression against children saves their lives. Reasoning with children gets them maimed and killed. By cheering on shows that promote reasoning with children, aggressive parents are cheering on practices which lead to children getting maimed and killed. By cheering on shows that promote reasoning with children, aggressive parents are cheering on practices which they truly believe lead to children getting maimed and killed, and which also lead children to become selfish, entitled adults who undermine and destroy society. Again, this is incomprehensible. Almost. But nothing in the human mind escapes philosophy. Reasoning in media. The answer. So, what on earth is going on? Why would parents give time and money to advertisers on shows that promote child injury and death and the destruction of their entire society? Why would aggressive parents rail against shows that promote the very parenting practices they claim are necessary to keep children safe and happy and keep society functional and sustainable? This would be like an army showing endless training videos to new recruits, instructing them on how to reason and negotiate with their opponents, and filing legal complaints against any instructor who tried to teach the new soldiers how to actually use a weapon. Clearly this would be an army that was setting up its recruits to get killed in combat. We can clearly see the true insanity of any group that claims to dedicate itself to promoting X, but which only promotes and consumes material advocating for the opposite of X, and rails against any material that actually promotes X. What is the answer to this riddle? In a movie called Remains of the Day, a harsh, strict, and emotionally cold butler is revealed to have a soft spot for reading sappy romantic novels. In this fairly Jungian approach to psychology, the exterior shell of the personality is a reactive response to an unacceptable emotional core. In the movie American Beauty, a violent neighbor who hates homosexuals is revealed to be secretly gay himself. He really hates the gay part of himself, but projects that hatred onto homosexuals in the world. Earlier, I talked about the unconscious and unspoken moral reversal. To believe that something is moral and also to believe that the opposite of that thing is also moral requires the creation of at least two 
personalities that have no contact with each other. The psychological concept of ambivalence describes two opposing forces in the personality. A woman might love dating bad boys, but knows that a good man would be far better for her. An addict both needs and hates his own addiction. When a boy first asks out a girl, he feels a combination of desire and fear. The desire draws him to her. The fear is trying to keep him away from the pain of rejection. Having opposing feelings is natural in life. So, in parents, there are, usually, two personalities. One aggressive and one reasonable. The reasonable personality tries talking to children. If the children don't listen, the aggressive personality takes over. It's the good cop, bad cop switch so often seen in television, movies, and reality, no doubt. If a woman tries reasoning with an abusive husband, but he becomes increasingly aggressive, she will probably call the police and turn over her self-defense to them and their capacity for aggression. Parents use the same process with their children. If you won't listen to me, then clearly you have to be forcefully controlled. In other words, the aggression is the result of the child not listening to the parent. From the children's standpoint, the fact that aggression will be deployed if the child doesn't listen means that the listening is just a charade, a farce. It's similar to a thug cornering you in a dark alley and demanding that you give him your wallet while pointing a gun at you. Of course, he's just asking for your wallet, but his verbal request is backed up by a very real gun that could end you if you do not comply. Since potential violence is present in the interaction, nothing the thug says is reasonable. The gun is doing the real talking. He's just mouthing the words. Or, to put it another way, the thug is telling you the purpose of the gun, which is to get you to comply with his verbal commands. Parents perfectly willing to resort to aggression are never, in fact, reasoning with their children, because the aggression is always part of the equation. You can never reason with someone if the result of her failing to agree with you is violence. A schoolyard bully with his fist raised is not requesting the smaller child's lunch money. Sure, he's only speaking words, but the raised fist is the essence of the interaction. A child who knows he could be hit is never being reasoned with. The nice parent is one personality. The aggressive parent is another. And they do not communicate with each other. Victims of child abuse constantly note that their parents are fully capable of restraining their abusive habits in the presence of external authority or social repercussions. Children who are beaten at home 
but never beaten at the mall or in front of teachers or policemen or priests or extended family. Parents are fully able to restrain their aggression when the consequences of that aggression would be negative to them. They wait until they get home, and then they beat their children. The peaceful parent reigns supreme in social situations. The aggressive parent comes out in the dark, behind closed doors. The peaceful parent personality loves watching sitcoms where families laugh together and parents never yell or hit, and children listen with good humor and respect. If a parent on television were to suddenly haul off and hit a child for disagreeing with her, the peaceful parent would see the effects of abuse without the personality transitioning to the aggressive parent. The peaceful parent would see the actions of the aggressive parent without the dissociating provocation of a real disagreeable child in the vicinity. We've often seen shows where a mass murderer has a second personality, a sweet, mild-mannered, innocent character who is horrified by the actions of the murderous personality. The aggressive parent personality is motivated by the belief that children owe obedience. And if children do not pay what they owe, they can be aggressed against. However, the switch from peaceful parent to the aggressive parent requires a real disagreeing child in the vicinity. How you feel about what you watch on screen is often the complete opposite of what you would feel in real life. People enjoy listening to true crime podcasts, but would distinctly not enjoy being the victim of those crimes in their real lives. Women, in particular, made the abusive pornographic novel Fifty Shades of Grey the biggest-selling book in human history, much to the despair of more literary authors, but most of them would be appalled to be beaten during sex in real life. The aggressive parent personality runs on the principle that my own children must be aggressed against if they defy me. However, when watching a show on television, child actors do not fall into the category of my own real children disobeying me. Thus the tripwire for the aggressive personality is not triggered. As a result, watching a television parent suddenly hit a television child gives the peaceful parent personality a sudden and unfiltered glimpse of the aggressive parent personality. Imagine how horrified you would be if you suddenly received irrefutable proof that you were a mass murderer. Imagine that someone sent you video footage of you sleepwalking and sleep-killing in the middle of the night. I'm sure that you, a most moral and mild-mannered reader, would be utterly appalled, shocked and horrified to the depths of your very soul to find out that you had an unknown second personality that did great evil in the world. You would probably feel great rage against the person who exposed your evils to you. 
Of course, as a moral and good reader, I'm sure that you would want to turn yourself in, get help, and make sure that you didn't kill anyone else while sleepwalking in the middle of the night. The existence of this second murderous personality would be so deeply shocking to you that it would destabilize and destroy your entire life, your entire conception of yourself. To bring the analogy closer to home, imagine that you had a dog and could never understand why your dog kept getting more and more aggressive, even though you loved and petted that dog constantly. Imagine you installed home security cameras inside your house and then saw yourself terrorizing and beating your dog in the middle of the night while having no memory of this whatsoever in the morning. Imagine how unbelievably destabilizing it would be to suddenly realize that although you thought every part of you loved this dog, that you are inhabited by a kind of midnight demon who brutalized and tortured a helpless and defenseless animal. Before you knew all of this, you probably enjoyed watching videos of dog owners playing with their pets and would be utterly shocked and appalled to see videos of pet owners torturing their dogs. You would be incredibly angry that you had been exposed to these ghastly, abusive images and would report them to the social media company or perhaps even to the authorities. In the classic movie Manchurian Candidate, a man is programmed to murder when he hears a particular sequence of words. He goes into a psychological fugue state, the summoning of another personality that entirely eclipses his regular self, commits his murder, escapes the scene, and then has no idea what he actually did. The universal absolute of the moral reversal creates two distinct and opposing personalities that never communicate with each other, because if they did communicate, the contradiction would be exposed, and possibly efforts to reconcile this contradiction would be undertaken. If the peaceful parent personality suddenly encounters depictions of the aggressive parent personality, the personality as a whole is deeply destabilized. If the peaceful parent personality suddenly sees on television the aggressive parent personality, the aggressive parent personality within the mind recoils at being exposed, just as a bank robber will punch or shoot a security guard who catches him in the act. The powers that run the world never want us to try to reconcile these moral reversals because they rely on these moral reversals in order to maintain their power. In the ancient world, when Alexander the Great captured a pirate and demanded to know why he used violence to prey upon others on the high seas, the pirate replied that he was only called a pirate because he had only one ship. If he had more ships, he would be called a navy, as Alexander the Great called his own gang of violent seagoers. In the novel Crime and Punishment, the petty thief and murderer 
demands to know why Napoleon, who killed millions, is celebrated as a great historical figure, while the murderer, who killed only two, is imprisoned. Ah, this is running a bloody finger along the bladed edge of the moral reversal. In the classic novel The Godfather, an organized crime boss admits that his organization kills people, but compares their own paltry death count to the millions murdered by political leaders in wartime. The Joker, in The Dark Knight, says that people recoil from murder in their city while celebrating mass murder in a foreign country under the guise of war, since the latter is part of a plan they accept, while the former is not. We all hate murderers, but love soldiers. We fear and punish those who kill without permission, but praise and reward those who kill with permission. Moral reversal. Of course, there are anti-war activists, pacifists often, but they tend to want further expansions of government power in the realm of social programs and income redistributions, just different coercive actions. We cannot genuinely oppose violence because we hide from ourselves how much we love violence, commit violence, justify violence, and advocate for the expansion of violence. We cannot oppose the predations of the elites because we prey on our own children. We cannot reduce the violence in the world until we confront the violence in ourselves. An aggressive parent who sees her own behavior accurately depicted on television rails against that depiction because it holds a mirror up to her own actions, which she cannot accept. She empathizes infinitely more with a child actor on television than the offspring of her own body, her own children. It is unacceptable and evil to hit a child on television, while moral and necessary to hit her own child in real life. It is morally wrong for a television parent to scream at a television child, but it is morally necessary for her to verbally abuse her own children because apparently they just don't listen. The world is an asylum founded on unconscious moral contradictions. Here's a tip, though. It's free, like this whole book. If you would hate and loathe seeing your own parenting depicted on television, maybe don't do it at home. If it's 
appalling to see a pretend parent pretending to hit a pretend child on television, maybe don't really hit your own real child in your own house. It would be crazy to smash a mirror for accurately showing your obesity. The problem is not in the mirror, but in yourself. The camera does not add 10 pounds. That's just how you look. You must accept it in order to change. In order to save the world. In order to protect your children from yourself. The evolution of abuse. Imagine having to use the same communications technology your grandfather used. Rotary dial phones, switchboard operators, the telegraph system, handwritten letters sent through snail mail. What effect would these restrictions have on, say, your business career? How about hanging out with friends? What about your dating life? It would be almost impossible to navigate the modern world using communications technology from just a generation or two ago. Why is this important? Well, there is no absolute or objective reason why child abuse tends to replicate through the generations. There is no reason why a boy raised in violence tends to become more violent. This is evolution, not physics. Why does a girl raised without a father menstruate earlier or tend to be more promiscuous? Why do people who were abused tend to abuse their own children? These are not facts of the universe like gravity and radiation. They are all subject to the whittling whims of evolutionary pressures. Let us unpack the reasons why, so we can have more compassion for the present. It's almost impossible in our ever-changing modern world to understand just how repetitive the experiences of prior generations were. Depending on how it is measured. Humanity is about 150,000 years old. But until a little more than a century ago, going to a doctor usually meant you got more sick. Until a few hundred years ago, human beings didn't even know the shape of the solar system. The internet is only 40 years old. Modern cell phones are only two decades old. The rate of change we experience in the modern world is inconceivable to anyone born even a hundred years ago. These massive changes are contained on the whole in less than a single generation compared to the 5,000 generations that came before. We have evolved mental and emotional systems designed for unchanging repetition, which are striving 
to navigate a truly kaleidoscopic pace of constant change. The modern world, in a very real sense, is an unending drug trip. <laughs>